so anyway, it's uh, just a great privilege to be back. We've come a long way with this church, probably 25 years ago, and some of these young people will still, were still in the mountains, their tails wasn't cut off yet, but since we came here, and I would never, um, never be able not to remember this, because what was supposed to happen, uh, how many of you have been here 25 years ago? You probably won't even remember, would you? Ah, just a little handful. But what happened is that there were two twin brothers with the name of the Cetera twins, and they went all over Canada and North America having revival crusades. They were twins, they were Italians, and they drive you absolutely nuts when they stay with you. It was always a blessing for us to have him coming into our house to stay out in the White Rock area, and they stay with us. And then we were so thankful when they left again. <laughs> and I never told them this. But what used to happen is that before they would come into a town for two, three weeks sometimes, uh, they would ask uh, me and say, Hey, Gerard, can you go to that church and spend a few days speaking about prayer and intimacy with God? And then it prepares the way for us to come. And so when we came to Port Alberni, you know, you're driving here through the mountains on your way, you feel to Boga Bogaland amongst the sticks and getting into this place called Port Alberni. And I got to know the church and we had such a blessed time, dear Tim Bartell, who's gone to be with the Lord, we're still the pastor. And we started the Sunday morning and I was supposed to finish the Wednesday night. And so then Tim came to me because we were just in the presence of God. You know, when the presence of God is real, we have no idea what everything else is about. We just want to develop intimacy with him. And I would never forget the Wednesday morning, Tim came to me and he said, hey, you know what I think we should do? And I said, what is it? He said, I think we should just keep going. And then the Ceteras don't need to come. And I said, no, I can't do that. You know, there's a thing called integrity and loyalty. And that's how we got to know the church and has been praying for this church um, ever since those days. I don't know if you are conscious of that, and I'm seeing these young people here this morning, and Janice and myself have a privilege of teaching in Bible colleges in all over the world for a number of years, and when I see these young people, I always say to them, uh, it will cost you more to miss the will of God for your life than it will cost you to find it. And uh, I always say to them, uh, you only have one life to live, and and only that which is going to be done for Christ to last. And it's just a tremendous blessing and, and privilege to be here. And we want to thank the church. Uh, Pastor Leland sent me a message some time ago and said, Hey, we want you to know that I'm praying, that we are praying for you. And uh, I've gone through two of these surgeries. And the last one was a hip replacement. And I'm sure it was Herman that said to me, before I went into a hip replacement, that he said to me, when they do a hip replacement on you, they get most of their equipment from Canadian Tire. You know, he's the only one who can do this to you. So, and I thought, do they have a chainsaw, or what do they do when they do a hip replacement? And so when the fellow did the hip replacement, that night when I came out of surgery, I went onto the internet, and I wanted to watch a video of how they do a hip replacement. Well, I watched it, and I never slept that night. I thought, what have they done to me? But thank you for allowing us to be... If I can just say this... We've put some material together that we are giving to churches these days. And when we do a prayer summit with churches, we start on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday and Tuesday with the seniors uh, that come to it, and then in the evenings with the people. And I've got these notes that we've put together, and I brought a number of copies with me if you are interested to get some of them. And then we've put some material together that I gather from a number of sources about the concept of temptation, you know temptation is not sin. I mean, Jesus was tempted in all points like us we are in the Bible, said, yet without sin. And we can't be tempted with something that we are not conscious of. So what happens with temptation? Temptation comes to the mind. And once it comes to the mind, and if there is unresolved issues in my life, or strongholds, or areas that I've not allowed God to deal with me, 
then temptation finds a place of entrance. And it's just like a slide. So once it comes to the mind, then it goes to the emotions. And we get emotionally involved, which is a brutal thing if our emotions are not sanctified and set apart unto God. So when does temptation become sin? James said, when sin conceived, uh, that means when I surrender my will to it. So if you want to get this, I've got a number of copies and I've got the definition of what temptation is, the reasons why God allows us to be tempted. You see, brother and sister, we're dealing with the permissive will of God in our lives. You know? And uh, when God in His permissive will allow us, and the word temptation in the Greek language is very beautiful, we just think of temptation of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the lust of this world. The Greek word paraso has got five to seven possible different meanings. Um, physical tribulation, emotional draining, and a whole bunch of concepts that comes out of the scripture. And the second one is, what is the process of temptation? And then the secret of how God can give us victory over temptation. You know, the scripture says, no temptation is such have taken you as such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow us to be tempted about that which we are able, but with a temptation, he will make a way for us to escape. So uh, if you are interested in this, we would love to put the material in your hands because 75% of our growth as Christians will always be determined by what we expose ourselves to and that which we read and listen to in our relationships with God. Let's just pray for a moment, shall we? Heavenly Father, it's a wonderful privilege for us um, this morning to be allowed to be back here in this amazing fellowship in Port Alberni. Uh, this is a place that I, through the years, have looked upon as just a, a lighthouse and the realm of darkness and iniquity and in sin and the society in which we live. And this morning we are here as a group of your people. And we have come because we have been reminded that the psalmist said, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. And we are reminded that the psalmist said to us that I would rather spend the day in the courts of the house of God than the rest of my life drifting away into a world that is totally saturated with depravity. Thank you this morning for the privilege of being together. And God, we have come this morning not just because we want to be informed by the reality of Scripture, and how desperately we need it because we have been born with a personality, and God is in the process of building up Christian character. But we just do not want to be informed by the beauty of Scripture, but Father God, we want to be inflamed with the supremacy and the majesty and the centrality of the risen life of Christ. And I was so reminded again today of those incredible places in the Gospels where you came and you reveal yourselves to people. And the moment when they had an encounter with Jesus Christ, their lives were changed for time and for eternity. God, I'm so conscious, it's not necessary what we listen to, important as it is. But if what we listen to, the Holy Spirit doesn't come and fertilize the seed of God's word in our hearts, if that does not happen, we will never be able to manifest the life of the word of God. And so we pray this morning, as we look at your word, Oh God, that we would be like those two disciples again who said to one another when Christ spoke to them, did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us on the way? And we want to be like those men in the Acts of the Apostles who said that we want to see Jesus. And I pray this morning that as we Submit ourselves to your word. And God, is, it's such an incredible responsibility. I sat there as we were singing these great songs. 
And the sense of our inadequacy, the sense of our desperateness of God, the understanding of the old Puritan J.C. Rao that so often used to say that the way up is the way down. The concept of humility that you need to bring to us that when the old Puritans used to say that nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. And so this morning as a congregation, we've come to submit ourselves to you. Be conscious that you said to us in your word, my people which has been called by my name will humble themselves and pray and confess their sin. You said, then will I hear from heaven. And I will forgive his sin, and I will heal their land. Dear God, we are your people, <coughs> if we know you personally. And you say to us, if we humble ourselves. And Father, I confess in your presence that I don't have a clue in the depth of what it means for Christ to humble himself, to become man, and to die on the cross for us, <coughs> and to give his life for us. And I don't understand the depth of the reality of the crucifixion of Christ, <clears throat> but I understand it in the light of trying to walk <clears throat> in the presence of God. And I was reminded that Oswald Chambers so often said that the ministry of humbling ourselves is not just a discipline, but it needs to become a disposition. So, Father, I pray <clears throat> as we, as a fellowship, Submit ourselves to the majesty of the indwelling life of Christ. Can you give us a glimpse this morning of Jesus? <clears throat> Can you give us a glimpse of the understanding of, of Stephen <clears throat> when they began to stone him and he said, I can see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the throne of God. Where this morning he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And he is interceding <coughs> for us. Bless us out of your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, <coughs> every one of us in our relationships with God, there are certain passages and uh, there are certain... I'm amazed, I'm able to walk half kind of without a kitty. Well, sorry, we call it a kitty, as a cane. So, so... Thank you. It, it lasts for some time and then I get it and I stand. And if you fall asleep, then I do that and I wake you up. I won't do that. Don't you worry. Every one of us, we have certain books in the Bible that are precious and dear and near to us in many ways. Or passages in the, the scriptures. And through the last probably more than 40 years, what has happened to me in my relationship with God, there is one New Testament book that has crawled immensely deep into my relationship with God. Uh, or the writings of one New Testament author, and that's the, God, uh, the Apostle John. And you know in the life of Christ that what happened in the New Testament or in the Gospels is that there were groups of people that followed the Lord Jesus. Uh, at some point there were 500 <clears throat> that we read uh, in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul speaks about. And then there were 120 of those people on the Acts of the Apostles. And then you remember how Jesus sent out 70 uh, in the Gospel of Luke so that they would go and preach the Gospel. And then within the 70, there were 12. So Christ had these groups that surrounded him, brother and sister. And within the circle of the 12, there were three that was very close and dear and near to the Lord Jesus. And within the realm of those three, there was one. And you know who it was because it was the Apostle John. It was the disciple whom Jesus loved. It was the one that was closest to Christ. In fact, theologically speaking, is it possible for us to say that he was not just the one that was closest to Christ, but if you go deeper and deeper, you discover that, that he was a cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> Because his mother, Salome, was related to Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's where we found the Apostle John. Now, I don't know about you, but when I find people 
that really love God with all of their hearts. <coughs> you know what I do with these people? I try to attach myself like a leech to the lives of these people. You say, why do you do that? Because I want to find out what makes them tick. And you know, there are people like that. I've had people like that in my life. And these people are an incredible level of intimacy with God. And because they at that level of intimacy with God, brother and sister, there was something from their lives that just made you hungry for God. And, and when you spend time in, in their presence, and, and, or you listen to them, and, and they communicate to you, and the way that they walk, and the way that they, <clears throat> that they just carry with them an atmosphere and a fragrance of the life of Christ, it makes us hungry for God. I think that was one of the reasons when Jesus in John chapter 7 stood up and he said, uh, If any man first, let him come unto me. And he said, He that believeth into me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water shall flow out of the innermost of his being. And so why do I say that to you this morning? Because when we look at the gospel of John, we see this incredible reality of the manifestation of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have time to go into the depth of what these 879 verses is about. But what I want to do this morning in the time that we have available, I want us to stop at one aspect of the ministry of Christ. Because you see in the opening verses of the Gospel of John, we are confronted with what we would refer to as the predestinate ministry of Christ. You say, what was that? It's when the Apostle John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And there we see this aspect of the ministry of Christ to a degree, even the ministry of Christ in the Old Testament. You see, if you don't understand the Christ of the Old Testament, it will be very difficult to understand the Christ of the New Testament. And then we've got to do with what we refer to as the public ministry of Christ in the Gospel of John. You say, where do you find this? From chapter 1 to chapter 12. And in that public ministry of Christ, we see eight miracles that Jesus did. And we are confronted with eight personal conversations that Christ had during those chapters of his public ministry. You say, those personal conversations, why were they there? Why did he do those miracles? My brother and sister, I love his word for miracles or miraculous signs in the New Testament because the predominant explanation of those miracles had an explanation that says uh, they are signposts towards spirituality. It's like if you come to Port Alberni, I'm not even sure if it's true, but if you were supposed to come to Port Alberni, there should be a sign that said somewhere in the mountains, Port Alberni, uh, 15 or 20 kilometers. And you and I look at that and you say, so what does that mean? It means that it's a signpost towards the town. And so when you look at the miracles that Jesus did, every one of those miracles created an opportunity for the Son of God to manifest it a life, an aspect of the life of the Father. I mean, it's incredible if you begin to study them. And then there were those personal conversations. Oh, I love them in an immense way. Uh, let me just mention one or two of them. Ah, you remember in the third chapter of John's Gospel, a man came to Jesus right in the middle of the night. Do you think for one moment Christ was asleep when he came? No. He knew exactly what was coming his way. Why? <clears throat> because he was the Son of God. He was never caught off guard, brother and sister. This man came to him in the middle of the night and he said to him, I know that you are a teacher who has come from God. And he said, no man can do these things unless God is with him. And Christ, because Nicodemus was a Pharisee, he knew the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. And Jesus turned to him and he looked him in the eyes and he said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. And there he began to explain to Nicodemus the beauty of what it means to be born from above. Now let me just stop for one little moment. Maybe you are here this morning and you've never, you've never been born of the Spirit of God. 
I think of these beautiful young people. We were in the Bible college a few years ago. 104 students. One morning the Spirit of God broke through amongst those students. You know what happened? 35 of them were gloriously saved. We live in a society today when you just don't know. I met one of those students some time ago when I was speaking in a, a little place called Steinbach in Manitoba. If you ever anything know about Steinbach and you're a Mennonite, you would know exactly what I'm talking about. Because they told me it takes you five minutes to get to know someone and five minutes to figure out who you're related to. And I will never forget the Sunday morning after the service. I was praying with some people and here a young man came. And he came and he sat next to me after I prayed with some of the people. And he said, can I pray with you again, Gerard? And I said, sure. I said, what's your name? And he said, you don't remember me. I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. And he said to me, I was in that Bible school in Germany when you and Janice were there. And he said, the Friday morning when the Spirit of God broke through and 35 students were gloriously saved, he said, I was one of those students. You see, I need to ask you this morning because we don't know one another. Do you really know Christ as your personal Savior? You say, how do I know that? If there is no hunger, there is no life, brother and sister. Next chapter, he spoke to the woman at the well. He couldn't say to her, you need to be born again, because she had no clue what he would have been talking about. And he connected with the reason of her coming. You remember why she came? She came because she fetched water in the middle of a day. She was living a brutal life of immorality. No one else wanted to see her. And she came and he sat and in his humanity, he turned to her and he said, would you give me some water to drink? And she turned to him and here comes prejudice. And he began to communicate to her the life of Christ. And then he introduced her to himself. Can I ask you another question this morning? You know, we're living in a lost society, brother and sister. And we are Christians. And if we are Christians, we have a testimony. And you say, what is my testimony? My testimony is uh, what I was like, how Christ came into my life, and what I'm looking forward to. I shared last night with with Herman and, and Tracy and, and Tandy. And you know, Tandy has a little character if you don't know that. Because she turned to Herman and myself at some point and she said, when you are together, because we come from the same country, you see, and we speak a different language. You need to learn that language before you go to heaven. So now it's a big problem. No, it's not as bad as that. And she said, well, if you two are together, you just talk about all these things, you know, because we've... We've, we've, we've known each other, but you know, the, 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 the reality and the, the beauty of people that we are encountering. Brother and sister, you know, we live in Port Albany, and I want to be honest with you, this is not an easy town. I mean, I could be a fool, but I'm not stupid, you know. And I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning, but there are areas and countries and in provinces where, are they, where there are a darkness of the forces of evil that's absolutely brutal. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. If you go to Eastern Europe that's been under communism for so many years, there's a darkness in some of those countries. There's places in BC, I don't want to mention their names. You come into that community, and I tell you, there's just a, there's an atmosphere of oppression. And here we are in the midst of that. And God has given us this incredible testimony. Now let me jump into what I really want to say to you this morning. I want us to look at this private ministry of Christ in John's Gospel. You say, where do we find it? We find it in John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. And my brother and sister, what happened in John chapter 13 to John chapter 17 is that there came a moment at the Last Supper, and you remember as the disciples were at the Last Supper, Christ made a statement and he said, one of, you are going to, uh, one of you are going to betray me. And you know the insecurity of those precious disciples. 
You say, why? Because they were probably not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. At that time, the Spirit of God was with them in relevant and real ways. But there was a sense of insecurity. And as they sat around the table and Christ said, uh, one of you is going to betray me. And you know the conversation that was going on. And, and now they kind of, it's the Apostle John on who was next to Christ of what it seems to us. And he wanted to know because Peter just said, during that time, he turned to Jesus and he said, I, I will never do this. And Jesus looked at him and said to him, Simon Peter, you're not conscious of the depth of the depravity of your human nature. And before, be, before the rooster is going, you can, you can deny me, deny three times, you know. And here is this group of disciples. Can you identify with that? This group of disciples. And they said to the apostle John, ask him, ask him. And, and John asked, and Jesus explained what was going to happen. Ah, oh, you remember what happened. Judas Iscariot left, and there were 11 of them still there. And here came Christ. And he said, I'm going to show you my heart. Brother and sister, I want to tell you something this morning. If I would have been on an island, and they say, you can only have three or four chapters of the of the New Testament for the next three months. I will take John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, probably chapter 17 if I can. And I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning because I'm speaking to myself. You see, we sit here and you know we're dealing with prayer and the majority of Christians in North America see prayer as a vending machine. They think if they do this and this and this, they're going to see this and this and this. And God said, it doesn't work like that. And I want to say this morning, and I want to speak to myself, these chapters are so deep, and they are so solid, that it's possible that the majority of us has never taken the time to say, I want to understand what's going on here. Let me try to explain to you a few of those things. Jesus turned to those disciples and he said to them, when my spirit come, he said, my spirit will be with you. And he said, my spirit will be in you. He said, when my spirit come, he said, my spirit is going to testify of me. He said in the 16th chapter, he said, when my spirit come, he said, what is going to happen? When my spirit come, he said, my spirit will glorify me. He will never speak of himself. My spirit will glorify me. And then he made this incredible statement. He said, when my spirit come, he said, my spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my Father, and of judgment because the prince of this world has been judged. I just want to stop there for a few minutes. Because you see what happens here. He was speaking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And brother and sister, what I find so encouraging in my own inadequate understanding of what the Christian life is all about. It, it almost seems to us that when, when, when Christ came and he began to introduce to them the Holy Spirit, and the fascinating thing is, in the prior, probably more than three years, possibly, from what we can gather from the four Gospels, he didn't, say, he didn't tell them a lot about the Holy Spirit. But what he was doing, he was preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so here he came in John chapter 13 and 14, 15, 16, and then he bring chapter 13, 14, and 15, and 16 together in what we call the high priestly prayer as he prayed for, for, for his disciples. And what did he say about the Holy Spirit? He said, when the Holy Spirit will come, and he wants to apply it to their lives, he said, the Holy Spirit will be in you, and the Holy Spirit will be with you. I want to ask you a question this morning because we don't know one another. Are there times in your life when you are conscious of God the Holy Spirit? Now, He never speaks of Himself. He brings us to the beauty of the life of Christ. 
Can I ask you a question this morning? I don't want to, quest- want to question your relationship with God. But do you sit here and you, can you honestly say, I've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit? You see, there's the incoming of the Holy Spirit when I'm born of the Spirit. And then there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when I walk with God. Then there's the infilling of the Holy Spirit when you come to me on a consistent basis in my walk with God. Do you allow me to ask you? You say, why do you, why do you say that? i tell you why. I meet so many Christians and they've totally dried up in their walks with God. There's no freshness. There's no sense of reality. I mean, things are pretty dead, you know. You see, does it mean that the Holy Spirit is not there? Of course He's there. But you see, we can quench Him. We can grieve Him. We can resist Him. Jesus said, when my spirit comes, sit down. My spirit will be with you. You know, my quiet time this morning, um, we stay with the Nels, and he tried to tell you that I've interrogated him, which I haven't. But he's a medical doctor, and they need a lot of help. That's not true. He's helped, in fact, he saved my life when he got in touch with a specialist, when I was told I need to wait for three years for a hip replacement. And God intervened and I got this thing and was able to get going again. But they don't know that this place where we stay downstairs, there's a red chair. And that's my chair. And when we come and stay there, that chair is the place where God come and meet with me. I want to ask you a question this morning. These beautiful young people, do you know the presence of God? Are we indwelt by the presence of God? You say, what do you mean by the presence of God? We can't explain it, brother and sister. We can't define it. But we always know when it's not there, you know. Your presence. And then he said, my presence will be with you. And then he said, my, my presence will be in you. And then he goes further and he said, when you experience this depth of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And you know one of the most fascinating studies is that when you find out what Jesus said here about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit did not come yet until the day of Pentecost, And then you see what he said about the Holy Spirit. And then you go to the Acts of the Apostles and you systematically go through those chapters and you see the fulfillment of what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit in John 13 to 17 and 16. And when he said, my spirit will be with you and my spirit will be in you. And then you go to the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit you say, what happened when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, they spoke in, in 16 different languages. <clears throat> Why did they do that? Because it was the Feast of Pentecost. History is saying us there could have been about a million people in and around Jerusalem. And they spoke in these languages. They didn't preach the Word of God. They were speaking about the wonderful works of God. And so the Spirit of God came and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful. It says tongues of fire came and sat upon them. And fire is speaking about purity, you know. So it seems if God purified them, because Peter said in Acts 15, 89, he said God gave unto them the Holy Spirit. That was the household of Cornelius that he was speaking about. He said God gave unto them the Holy Spirit the same as he did unto us. He made no difference between us and them. Why? Because he purified their hearts by faith. The Holy Spirit came. And everything that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and those chapters in John's Gospel became 
a fulfillment in every one of their lives. Now, how did he do that, or how did it happen? First of all, those early disciples were reminded about the life of Christ. That's why Jesus said in those passages, he said, when my spirit comes, he said, my spirit will testify of me. And you see, here comes everything that Christ was about, and his supremacy and his deity as the Son of God, and it became a reality, and suddenly it became part of their relationships with God. You know, I, I said something a little while ago that I never got to, because these months, twice being in hospital and surgeries and those kind of things, and I don't know how it works with you, but because we have a life and we want to share it with people, every, both of those times when I was in hospital, uh, I asked God and said, God, will you just allow me to try to connect with people? You know, don't force yourself down upon them about, but just connect with people, just get to know people. And so that was my passion. And so the first surgery, which was a back surgery, uh, I was in the hospital for eight or nine days. And about 20 people, nurses and doctors and all this kind of stuff, happen, and they would come into the room, and they check you out, and every time when they would come into the room, I would say, God, can you just give me an opportunity to kind of get to know these people? And it was wonderful, one after the other. Oh, man. And you don't need to say, hey, you know, you need to, this is Canada, you don't do it, it just wouldn't work. You just need to say, hey, what's your name, and how long have you been working here? And you begin to show an interest in the lives of people, and then, and then slowly this thing opened up and opened up. And I had 20 people, and God gave me an opportunity in one way or another, not to uh, bombard them with the gospel, but to get to know them. You see, if you get to know people, you know how to pray for people. And it was fascinating. And I will never forget the last day when this New Zealand specialist came in, and he said, how are you doing? I said, I want to go home. Just let me go home. You know, hospital food sometimes is really nice, you know. <laughs> and he said, you want to go home? I said, yeah, just send me home. And he said, okay, we can't send you home unless we've done these x-rays. And about an hour or so later, maybe later, I'm not sure, this fellow came in my room and I said, uh, he said, uh, told, asked me who I was. They want to make sure they do it with the right people. And then he he said, okay, I'm going to take you, this is Vancouver General Hospital, I'm going to take you, takes about 8 to 10 minutes, I'm going to take you to a place where they, we, they're going to do some x-rays. And I said, sure. And so, you know, they grabbed the bed, and there you go down these passages. And I thought, I want to find out about this guy. So I said, what's your name? He told me his name. I said, how long have you been working here? Oh, 11 years. I said, uh, and the greatest question to ask people is, are you still enjoying it? I mean, that really opens up the whole thing, you know. And I said, so we talked and talked. And then he said, what are you doing? And I tried to tell him a little bit. And then he said, uh, uh, I said, so tell me about yourself. And he said, what do you want to know? I said, everything. That scares the life out of people, you know. But it didn't work like that. He just began to open up slowly. And as he, now I knew I had eight to ten minutes. And as he opened up slowly, I just, you know, if you've got a way to get under people's skin, you learn how to stay there. And he slowly opened up, and I just, and it came up and up. And here comes this spirituality of the reality of what this is about. And brother and sister, he really opened up. You say, how do you know that? I'll tell you how I knew that. Because the longer we go, the slower the trolley went. And I knew I was getting somewhere. And so when we got to the place where they were doing this, he, I said, are you bringing me back? And he said, he said, no, I would love to. He said, no, no, I'm not. And then we came back, and here was this French girl from France who got a job at uh, Vancouver General Hospital and and we came back, and, and she looked at my name, which is Dutois, which is French. And she began to speak to me in French, and I said, no. I said, I don't understand French, and I'm not interested to learn it. But we began to talk. You see, all we need to do is to carry with us an atmosphere 
And I'm not saying I know this because I don't think I do. But it's to carry with us an atmosphere that brings a receptability in our hearts and the lives of people. And you see what happened? This thing began to open up. She said, what do you speak to people about? I said, well, it's kind of prayer. And she said, do you know how to pray? I said, no, I don't. And she almost said, so why do you speak about it? I said, because I'm learning it. And then she said, you know, my mother is in France and my mother is a Catholic. And she said, my mother prays for me day and night. And I thought, here we go. And oh, brother and sister, you know, and you know what happened? I shared with her how I found Christ. I shared with her about prayer. I said to her, you know, the essence about prayer is not to get a thousand things from God, it's to get to know Christ in every aspect of your life. And as we were sharing with one another, you know, and she began to open and told me how her mother was praying for her and how things were just taking place in her relationship with God. And I knew we had about eight or ten minutes, and I knew God was speaking to her. He said, how do you know that? I tell you why. The trolley was going slower and slower and slower. When my spirit comes, what will he do? My spirit will convict the world of sin. You see, if there's unconfessed sin in our lives, how can he convict others if we're not rightly related to God? Now listen to this. He said, my spirit will convict the world of sin. And then he, Christ told us, why? He said, of sin, because they don't believe on me. Do you think for one moment that stops in the life of the unbeliever? No, no, brother and sister. You know the reason why God is not using us? We don't believe he can do that. And he said, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. Of sin because they don't believe on me. Then he said, he will convict the world of righteousness. Why would he convict the world of righteousness? Because Jesus said, I go to my Father. If you ever explore the reality of not just this imputed righteousness that we received in our relationships with God, but his imparted righteousness, when he began to work out, when Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and tremble, and, 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 and Oswald Chambers said, you know what that means? He said, God needs to work out, we need to work out that which God has worked in. That's why Watchman E said, whatever God takes, God breaks. You know, like the five loaves and the two fishes. And it needs to flow. And then he came. And he said, we'll convict the world of judgment. Of judgment? Why would he convict the world of judgment? Because the prince of this world is judged. Can I ask you in closing this morning? Is there a stronghold in your life that has not been surrendered to God? I tell you, you know, when you go through the mill and you are in pain, and I went through 18 months of this stuff, and I will never forget one afternoon, I was lying in the bed upstairs, the back surgery, you can hardly move for four weeks, virtually I was on my back, and, and Janice just, I mean, if it wasn't, for God and her, I don't know if I, would be, if I would survive this thing. And I was lying up at the bed there and just weeping. And it was so bad, I just wept out loud, you know. And she was downstairs and she heard this and she came running up the stairs and came to the bed and sat next to the bed and she said, Daddy, what's going on? And I said, my darling, it's the pain. I can't handle it. And then she said, what can I do? I said, nothing. You know? And eventually I just said to her, you just go. And I was just lying there. And God came to my heart, you know. And here came the question. Is every aspect of your life surrendered to God? You know, we know the answer. We all say, oh yeah. 
Your life and its relationships, uh, your heart and its affections. And we live in a terrible society. And in the society that we live, the society tried to rob us of everything that is precious to God. And for the next hour, I was just lying on my back, couldn't do anything, just weeping my heart out, just saying, I just come to you. Take it. Take my wife and my daughter and her husband. They belong to you. You see, we try to interfere. Take that which you've given to us. When we live in faith, by faith, whatever we have is what God has given to us. You just give it back. Take my future. So why do you say that? Because you see, I, I felt God brought me to a place, brother and sister, where he's going to put me on the shelves, and that's the end of my ministry. And we don't really have a ministry. You know. It's what he allows us to do for him. And I said, God, I want you to take it. You see, we collectors, you know. And when we collect... It gives us confidence of what we have. And then there needs to come a time when God said, I'm taking it all. And forgive me for saying this. He strips us naked. And when He strips us spiritually naked, And he comes to us and he said, like what he said to Joshua, I saw you when you were wrestling in your blood. He said, I came to rescue you. So why do you say that? This is a very precious church, you know. And God has given you two amazing pastors and a leadership. And this church has been under attack. If it, has need been, if it has not been under attack, I would be far more concerned. And so God comes in. It's everything or nothing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning. It's such a new thing and more than one sense for Janice and myself just to be back in churches. and It's almost a situation where you feel you need to learn so many things afresh and anew in our relationships with God and communicating. And I thank you this morning for this Port Albany Baptist Church. I thank you for Pastor Leland and for Eric and their wives and children. I thank you for the leadership in this place. But oh God, we're not satisfied. Because we are your people. And I just ask you this morning in Jesus' name, is there just a way that you can bring us afresh to a place where we can say nothing between me and my Savior? so that we would be able to walk with you. My brother and my sister, um, I hate to do this, but I just wonder this Sunday morning if there are some of us, and right here in the fall of 2019, you sit here and you really need the hand and the touch of God upon your life as you go into the fall. And you sit here this morning, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or any of those kind of things. But you sit here this morning, and you say, would you, would you just pray that if there is something that God has in store for me, that He will create in me a sensation of desperation, that I will not miss it in my relationship with Him. Our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed.
But I'm going to ask you and see if you sit here and you say, could you pray for me? Some of our older folks, and it's been a long time since God has really touched your heart, or even some of our young people, and you sit here and you say, would you just pray for me that God would just come to my heart in a fresh way? Could you just put up your hand and say, Gerard, I want you to pray. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you so much. I see the hand. Thank you. Some of our seniors here, you know, we don't want to be passengers in the bus. We want to walk with God. So would you please pray for me? Anyone else? Some of these young families, you need to be father of your house and the leader. So would you please pray for me? Anyone else? Last question. You sit here this morning, and if you are absolutely honest with yourself, you don't know Christ. And you are as far away from God as you could ever think. And on this Sunday morning, and what, the 13th of October, you sit here and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. And I want him to change my life for time and for eternity. Our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed. And you say, would you please pray for me? I'm not sure if I know Christ. You just put up your hand, and then we pray for you. Thank you, I see that hand. Anyone else? I'm not sure where I stand with God. Heavenly Father, one of the greatest things to be able to share with one another is that when we share with one another that you deal with us in our own hearts to the same degree that you deal with those who are trying to listen to us. And I want to thank you this morning that uh, you've broken my own heart afresh, not just for this fellowship, and for our pastors and their families, and for our leadership. But God, you broke my heart for these people. Because we are surrounded by people in this community who are lost, and you've given us a testimony. And you need to forgive us because all that we're concerned about is our own survival. And I pray this morning that you will take it, that you will show us ourselves. And after you showed us ourselves, God, that you will come. And that you will show us the life of Christ. And that you will help us to become intoxicated with a hunger and a thirst after you. So that you will use us in our relationships with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.